Friday edition of our journey through the book of Revelation series we're calling Unveiled Hope after this um, awesome book by Scotty Smith, Unveiled Hope, Eternal Encouragement from the Book of Revelation. So this morning, um, drinking from my very, very special Monsters U uh, mug that has the, the M-shaped handle. Just a reminder that dream big, never let anyone tell you you're not scary. Let me pray for us. We're going to dive into Revelation chapter 6. Heavenly Father, um, these, these symbols, these words, these numbers, these images um, can sometimes seem strange to us. But Lord, um, we know that to those that he were communicated to, they, they meant a great deal. And we pray, Father, that we'd be able to kind of get back minded of where they were and their circumstances, Lord, because we want to be transformed and changed by your word as well. We believe your word is eternal and it has ongoing, um, lasting, eternal um, impact and significance and change. And we're asking that you would work in that way in our lives this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We, of course, are walking through the first um, set of seals and remember a, a seal is something that bound together the scroll and the scroll on it is written the plan of redemption the eternal decrees of God um, all the things that will happen between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ and of course Jesus is the only one worthy to open the scrolls he's the only one worthy to execute its contents to be a witness to it because obviously he is alone worthy because he was slain as the lamb to make peace with man and God and to bridge the gap between man and God. So he alone is worthy to unfold um, and execute redemptive history for us. And so we saw in these first four seals that these four horsemen of the apocalypse, that these in fact are the kinds of things that characterize the age of the church that will always be here. Um, with us. We talked about how there will always be wars and natural disasters and internal uh, and relational conflict and death. These are things that impact everybody, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Well, these sorts of um, catastrophic things that happen in a broken, sinful world impact both Christians and non-Christians, and we need to be aware of that, right? So when there's a natural disaster, it impacts Christians, impacts non-Christians. When, you know, Christians also die a physical death. So John is just painting that picture for us. Well, we get into the fifth seal this morning. And what we find here is a description of the kind of suffering that takes place between the two comings of Jesus, not as a general suffering, all right? There are those we just, just talked about, but there is a special, unique kind of suffering uh, reserved for Christians, okay? And that's what the fifth seal talks about. So let, let's read that together. We're in verses, uh, we're in chapter six, verse nine through 11. When he, meaning Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. This is kind of a sobering and hopeful seal at the same time. I think in essence what what John is wanting to communicate to us is that um, while there is suffering that impacts the whole world, um, there is, and I do want to inflict some suffering on that crow up there that's making that noise. Um, there is also a specific kind of suffering that impacts Christians uniquely. And that's the kind of suffering we endure by virtue of the fact of our gospel witness, by virtue of the fact that we are Christians, by virtue of the fact that we stand on the word of God. And obviously, when we went through our study in First Peter, we, re we remember Peter's words to the churches there. He said, do not think it strange that something, that these fiery trials have come upon you. See, so oftentimes as Western Christians, um, we think that suffering is the anomaly, that suffering is the exception, that, that, that suffering is, is, is not the, the baseline of our existence. And John wants to remind us, okay, as Christians, that that in fact is not true that in fact part of being a Christian is being ushered into, invited into the sharings of the sufferings of Christ. Okay, so, so just a couple of passages before we look at this seal specifically, just to kind of frame this biblically. What does Paul say in Philippians 1.29? And, and this is a great word for us as 21st century American Christians. He says, for it has been granted you like a gift. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, okay? So in other words, um, suffering is a part of the fellowship of the intimacy and communion that we have with Jesus. Um, listen to Colossians 1 uh, verse, um, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm live right now. I'm trying to find it. Yes, Colossians 1.24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Paul saw it as crucial, this piece of suffering, as, as not just an obstacle, but in fact it was the very means by which, one, he would commune with Christ and Christ's suffering, and that people would look at him and see the sufferings of Christ on display. And of course, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Remember in Acts 9, when Jesus told um, um, uh, the family that, that, that Paul was staying at, the Cornelius that Paul was staying in um, with after his conversion, he said, it has been granted to this man that he must, I must show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And so what this helps us kind of just get a different frame and understanding for the way we should view this thing that this is not just a series of unfortunate events when Christ's people suffer. It's in fact part of God's design. It's part of how we have fellowship with him. And it's part of how we display the sufferings of Christ to a non-Christian world who can't understand why as a believer that even though we are sorrowful in our suffering, we in fact are always rejoicing because now we know Christ in his sufferings. So this is what this fifth seal is talking about. So it says this idea that under the altar, verse nine, the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for witness they had borne, 
He's just pointing to the reality that um, all throughout the history of the church, people have had to die for their faith. People have had to suffer for their faith. And this is, um, this is not, this is, no, no one wants to suffer, of course, but this is a badge of authenticity, right? It's a badge of affirmation for whom we belong to. That, that if, it's, if it was, if, if Jesus, if it wasn't too much or beneath him to suffer, it's not beneath us to suffer as well on account of his name. Now, one of the other things that we find out here, verse 10, it says, They cried out with a loud voice. This means all the martyrs. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So there is an assurance here of justice. There is an assurance here of, of, of ultimately God making things wrong um, or right that were wrong. So when when saints suffer for him, whether it's physically, spiritually, um, what whatever capacity, and it's unjust, okay? In other words, there's a kind of suffering we can do that brings, I'm sorry, a, a kind of stupidity we can, we can exhibit that brings suffering upon us. We can suffer by being foolish. We can suffer for being, making bad decisions. But this is a unique kind of suffering that even when we have not done anything quote unquote wrong, but in fact have been true faithful witnesses, that's when suffering oftentimes shows up the most. And when it does, it seems unfair, right? We can think about instances even in our own culture where Christians or churches might be singled out for something, but this is not, this is something, it's a, it's a badge of authenticity about who we truly belong to. But there's also a sense that we can go to God with that and we can appeal to him and say, God, this is not just, and he agrees. See, this is what this text says, um, that, that God agrees with that assessment. It is unjust, and he promises, he promises that he will avenge those who belong to him, that he will one day make things right. And usually that's not going to be in this life, right? It's going, vindication is going to happen at the second coming. So look at verse 11. It says, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So again, a sobering reminder that just because millions and millions of Christians have been martyred over the history of the church doesn't mean that will cease. That will continue until the day Christ returns. But at the same time, there is an assurance of salvation, right? You see that this symbol of the white robes being given to the people of God is to assure them that although the bodies they may kill, as Luther said, and God's truth abideth still, he reigns forever and ever. So there is an assurance of salvation um, of our eternal security in him even as we suffer. So that's the fifth seal. It's, it's talking about the unique kind of sufferings given to all Christians, okay, before Christ returns. And we are to count that as a privilege. It's how we share in Christ's sufferings. It's how we um, display the sufferings of Christ to um, a watching world. Okay, the last seal, and we're going to look at part of the seal today and the next part on Monday. Um, let me read it for us and, and let me say a couple of things. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. 
as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This, last, this sixth seal is more to describe for us what happens at the end of the age, okay? What happens when Christ turns, returns? What happens when the Lamb shows up on the scene? And what we're going to see is that for everyone, there will be a reckoning with the Lamb, okay? And here, um, this is addressed to those, okay, who don't know the Lamb, who've rejected the Lamb, um, that Jesus says there is a sure and certain wrath for them that is being um, stored up, right? Now, we understand that even in, among Christian circles, it's hard for people to hold these dual images together um, of the love of the Lamb and the wrath of the Lamb, but that's what Revelation certainly presents to us about Jesus. In chapter 7, um, we're going to talk about what this judgment is going to mean in the sixth seal for believers, the love of the Lamb, but we don't have time to get into that day. That'll be Monday. But for now, we, we hear this call, and it's a warning. It says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so in the middle of this, of this judgment that's going to come on all who don't know Jesus, there's also embedded in this a grace, and it comes in the form of a warning. Okay, um, we think about John the Baptist coming on the scene, and he said he told the Pharisees, "Who told you to flee from the coming wrath?" Right, and there is a sense there that this is a warning, and it's an opportunity for them to repent, and that's what judgment always has to be wrapped up. Pronouncements of judgment in our life have to be wrapped up in that these are not um, anybody's particular judgment is not. Is not a certain thing, okay? Um, as long as they are living and have breath, there is still opportunity to turn to Christ. And one of the things that this text reminds us is that no one will be exempt from this day of judgment. The rich, the poor, the slave, the free, the small, the great, the powerful, the the, the not non-powerful. It's 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 given to everyone. But as long as we have breath in this life, there is the opportunity to turn and repent. After all, that's why this letter is being given, so that we today can read it and say, wow, that is a that is a day of wrath that is coming, just wrath, okay, upon a world that has rejected God. But while there is still day, um, there is a call to repent and return to the gospel. Now, what chapter seven is going to show us um, on Monday when we're in it together is the special, like, what does that day of judgment look like for the believer, right? It's going to be a terrible day, but it's also going to be a glorious day. What is the fate of God's elect? That's where we're going first thing Monday, same time, same station, Revelation chapter 7, um, the 144,000. What does that mean? What, is it, what does it stand for? What does it demonstrate? What does it mean for us? Hope to see you back here. Hope you guys have a super great weekend. Let me pray. Lord, um, remind us that that day is coming. 
Um, and when we all will make an answer to the Lamb. And so, Lord, we pray and we are thankful that for those who are in Christ, who've turned to him in faith and repentance, that that, that, that embrace with the Lamb will be a glorious time. It will be, a, um, it will be a, an, an amazingly eternal, joyous celebration of being reunited. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would awaken hearts this side of eternity. That, they, that, P, that we would all flee from the coming wrath and run to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a great weekend. See everybody.